everybody, it's Dr. Sandy Laura Kramers, one of the board certified surgeons at Visionary Eye Doctors. Thank you again for joining us for the EYE Show podcast. Today we're gonna to talk about something a little unusual for a surgeon to talk about. I recently celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary and uh, Katya, who is behind the scenes, said, why don't you talk about marriage? And I get this question actually a lot. And I, I hear from friends and of course patients, like, how do you do it? How do you have like, you know, six kids? How do you, how are you a surgeon and all that? And, and it's not easy, of course, and I'm not an expert in any means of having a great marriage, nor am I a marriage counselor, nor am I a therapist or a psychologist but I do want to talk about it and I've learned quite a bit over the last 25 years of marriage and life of what good marriages look like and what bad marriages look like and I want to have a great marriage like all of you that are listening you want that for your children and grandchildren so I'm making this mostly for my children and grandchildren and of course dear friends and the patients who have inspired me over many years so as most doctors and surgeons we are in a way kind of therapists and we also help patients and their struggles, whether it's in their eye issues, medical issues, and in their physiological kind of situations where they deal with people day to day, especially their marriages. And over the years, I've had hundreds of friends, uh, couple friends, and as well as patients who have shared their pearls of wisdom. And one of my favorite ways to talk about uh, marriage is when I see a couple coming in to see me for their eye care. And I will ask them, how long have you been married? And frequently I hear the answer, you know, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and I always ask them, what is your secret to marriage? And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've learned and all the research I've done personally, because of course I want to have a great marriage, so I do work on this. I do try to read books, uh, and of course I'm a failed person, but uh, of course I do want to get better. So I'm going to give a shout out to one of my very first couple friends that really had a huge impact in just trying to be a better person and of course have a better marriage. And so the people that I do mention have given me permission to mention their names. And when I always kind of joke with my dear friend that when my marriage grows up, I want it to be like their marriages. And so my first really wise example is Patty and John. So Patty and John recently celebrated their 50th anniversary. They have 10, 11 kids, and we know many of their children, wonderful, wonderful people. They have a son who's a priest who I think is one of the most amazing priests I've ever met in my entire life. And years ago, I said to Patty, you know, how did you get all these great kids? And she's older than I am. And, and so, you know, we had known each other for years before this. And she said to me, oh, we did family enrichment 30 years ago. And I said, what's family enrichment? And so she told me the story of this Harvard professor who basically had 10 kids himself, who was a friend of theirs, who with another friend of theirs who had 15 kids in Spain, I think it was, or 18 kids, um, started this program that talks about how to change the Harvard Business School model into marriage, how to do that scientific understanding of what makes a good marriage work. It has some positives and negatives like every program. I have a dear friend who I love who hates family enrichment, but it does work for some people. And for my marriage, it helped for many, many years where you go through a problem. Our first problem we attacked is when one of my sons accused the other son of writing on the wall. And the son, first older son said, the younger son said he wrote on the wall. And at this time they were like six and four, five, seven and five and very young. And they were both crying because we were very upset because in the Dutch culture, my husband's Dutch, if you write on the wall, you're going to be executed. You will be killed or you will definitely get into big, big hot water. So we were having a lot of tension. And so I said, after this family enrichment uh, kind of uh, conference we had attended, 
I said to my husband, you know, what are the facts? And, he, and I said to him, well, there are no facts. We have no facts. We have no facts. So it gave us a chance to laugh, uh, which is really crucial with all the marriages I'm going to talk about today that I've learned from, to take a few minutes, kind of let the tension kind of decrease because we were both upset. I was, he, my husband was very upset because there was clear marker on our newly painted wall, permanent marker. I was upset because my husband was upset and the kids were upset. So it was kind of a tense situation that every marriage has this type of issue, whether or not you have kids, whether you have one child or you have 20 kids, uh, you're going to have a, a tension like this. And so that was my first understanding. Wait a second. We need to understand how to communicate better, uh, what makes a good marriage, what makes a bad marriage. And so I started studying all these different types of marriages. And so Patty and John would share these things with me over the years. And I have many, many stories that I would love to share someday about them. Uh, but they really have helped me understand that, you know, you can have an okay marriage, uh, but you really want to try to get to a great marriage. And we all are broken. Uh, we all have issues. There's no perfect marriage. And I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of podcasts also that I highly recommend at the end of this uh, that really have showed the kind of Make, made that manifest in my own life because for years I think I thought, well, I'm the only defective person uh, in this marriage or in this life. I'm the only one that has these problems. Nobody else has these problems. Everybody else is perfect. And so Patty and John have been very wonderful with helping me with that. Uh, one little example of that is that we asked Patty and John to help kind of uh, lead a family enrichment conference when I was in Boston. And Patty at that time, I think, had been married 30 plus years, maybe 40 years. And she said to me, you know, teach the class. We want to take the class with you. I'm like, take the class. And the class was on marital love and how to communicate in marital love. I said, what are you talking about, Patty? You've been married for like almost 40 years. You have all these amazing kids. She said, you'd be surprised. The kids move out. You look at your husband. You're like, why did we get married? I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's so humble. And so I realized that Patty and John were a perfect example of, you know, maybe two people that weren't perfect, although in my eyes, I think they're kind of perfect, um, you know, that realized how in their humility that, you know, no matter who you are, you need to be humble and know that you can learn better and get better at whatever it is you are talking about. And in this case, happy, holy, healthy, you know, marriage. So they, I, I thank them tremendously. And then since then, I've met some amazing other couples, such as Hesse and Tom. And Sessi has been such a mentor to me over the many, many years I've been in Washington, D.C. And a conference she gave, which I will link it to this podcast because that was a wonderful talk she gave recently in Washington, D.C., she stood up to give to give this talk, and I think Ceci has I think nine, eight or nine kids. Uh, one of them is also a priest, and then some of her kids are my my friends. Um, she said, you know, these speakers before her were wonderful couples, giving great advice with like things of what to do and plans and 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 things how to make things kind of work in your marriage. And she stood up and she said, I disagree with everything. I was like, what? What is she talking about? But it turned out to be interesting because she said there's no plan that stands up to the enemy. In other words, I can tell you what works for me. I can tell you what you should do. I can tell you about Dr. Gottman's research and Dr. Uh, Dr. Greg Bataro's research and about Gary Chapman's five love languages, which I'm going to do, but nothing in your mind of what you think that you're going to be able to do works out sometimes when you're really in a terrible situation and you just just are like a deer in headlights and you're in in it with the enemy whether it's if you view your husband as the enemy or your wife as the enemy or you view satan as the enemy who's trying to destroy your marriage whatever it is the plans can go out the window and it can get really hard so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well 
Okay, and then I want to talk about a couple more couples just because I love them dearly. Um, so Michael and Angela have been also amazing mentors for us, uh, mostly because I think the way they talk to each other and the way Michael deals with his children, they have 10 children, really has helped us. So Michael has been instrumental in helping us have a better family life because they're just a great example of what an amazing family life is. And mostly because we spent so much time with them when we were a younger couple uh, that I really appreciate what they've taught us in terms of having a quiet time, one hour every day on the weekend, for instance, uh, how he really spends time with his kids has been really wonderful. Uh, along the road, in addition to all these wonderful couples, I've read amazing books, but a lot of the books I find are usually from people that have one or two kids, which is wonderful. One child is hard. Two children is hard. Three children is hard. <laughs> Six children is hard. 10 children, 14 children, 15 children. A lot of my friends have a lot of kids. I think that's hard. And I think it's harder the more kids you have sometimes, not always, it can be easier. Uh, sometimes one child is the hardest actually, but I've learned a lot from Michael and Angela because they have a big family and he has written books, especially for husbands. So if you have a husband that maybe is not on board with some of the things that I'm talking about, um, or you have a wife that's not on board, Michael Moynihan is his name. He's the uh, head, he's the, uh, head of the upper school at the Heights School in Potomac, Maryland. And he's a great writer. He's a great role model. Uh, I wish he would start his own podcast. Uh, he's, he's great. So I want to just um, shout out to them. And then one of my other wonderful friends couples is Mariano and Becca. And Mariano gets the prize for texting me back the fastest out of everybody. And I texted everybody and said, do you mind if I mention your first name? If I, you know, I'm talking about great marriages. And he said, if by quote, great marriages, you mean, quote, two broken people that have problems just like everybody else and continue to rely mightily on God's grace uh, each day and every day, each and every day, and work through their own individual character deficiencies, unquote, and that I think we fit the definition. So thank you, because exactly, that's how I feel as well, is that we're all broken and we all are just trying to be better. So I would, I'm would i gonna give out a shout out of my podcast here because I think these podcasts have really helped me realize how what Mariano said is completely correct. And I think no matter who you are, whether you are dealing with the premarital component, the stresses of you know about to get married, you've been just gotten married or you've been married for many, many years, or your marriage is about to fail, where you feel it's about to fail, don't give up. You know, we're, the, I think the beauty of what I've learned over the 25 years is laughter, gratitude, and forgiveness. Those are the top three for sure. You know, kind of thinking, you know, you're broken, I'm broken, everyone around us is broken, and how do we know that? Well, the podcast, The Bible in a Year, as silly as it sounds, whether or not you're religious, whether or not you believe in God, tells you the history of the world in a beautiful way. We believe the Bible is kind of like the history of the world, and the history and uh, Bible in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz has been a major eye-opener to me because you realize, yes, there are many broken people and God writes uh, straight with crooked lines and crooked people and crooked pencils and you know that kind of thing. So, you know, we all have our defects. We're not perfect. Nobody that I know is a canonized saint living on earth, although I have some friends that are very close, uh, but they're, they'll be the first ones to say that they're broken and that they're sinful and that they, they really you know, rely on God's grace every every day, and so do I. So I think that Mariano's words are very, very important to understand that listening to the Bible in a year, or even the catechism in a year, 
really remind you of how, you know, we are all kind of broken. Uh, Father Serby has a podcast it's called Holiness for the Working Day, and he has a wonderful podcast that he just released right before the new year called Unleash the Power of the Family. That is a brilliant podcast because it talks about him as a priest knowing that when you have a couple that looks perfect, you know, has the perfect family, has the perfect 10 kids or 15 kids or six kids, uh, and the couple looks perfect, you know, really down underneath, there's a lot of dirt and a lot of grime and a lot of brokenness, and he sees it all, you know, as do all priests. And so the beauty of my particular faith is that we have this beautiful thing called confession where we can kind of, you know, restart and say, I'm sorry and forgive and try to, you know, forget, although women almost never forget unless you get dementia. Um, but you you can forgive. So when I was very newly married, my husband and I would go to confession together because I knew that in order for me to ask God's forgiveness for my own faults and sins, I had to ask, forgive my husband who was right next to me. And it was sometimes that it was really hard because I was really angry. And I thought, well, gosh, I'm the only one in the world that's having this difficulty forgiving or you know, trying to like start over. Why am I the only one? And then a friend of mine told me this story that really changed my uh, initial perception of forgiveness. She had gone to mass. She had at that time three kids and the baby was a baby. And so she left her husband with the baby. And the husband decided to give the baby a bath because the baby had soiled his, you know, the, his, his diapers. And so he put the baby in the bath and the baby was a baby. Uh, and then one of the other kids had some big, big emergency and he was called away because they were screaming and he completely forgot about the baby and the baby drowned. And there was nothing he could do. The baby was dead. And I was, when she was telling me the story, we were climbing a mountain and I almost stopped breathing because I had a baby at that time. And I thought, how did you forgive your husband? And she said, I didn't have to forgive my husband. I had to forgive God. I was at mass. My husband was destroyed. He, he was destroyed. He was like broken. He was completely upset. I was like, how did you forgive God, like, how did you? And she said it took a long time. You know, it was really difficult. And I said, well, if she could forgive her husband for this and she could forgive God for this, how would I not be able to forgive my husband for X, Y, and Z, leaving the toilet seat up or whatever it might be, or dropping his underwear on the floor, you know, the hundredth time, or talking to me badly, or whatever it is, whatever, you know, thing my husband's ever done, how would I not forgive him for that? You know, and so that was really a shocker. Another friend of mine also shared the story of how he, when he had, I think, his 10th child, was backing up in his driveway, and for and his kids were, you know, all these kids all around, his kids were playing hide-and-go-seek, and one of the kids, who was, I think, three, or maybe even younger, hid in a box under the tire of their huge SUV, okay? And, you know, they're playing hide-and-go-seek, and he was running off to work, he was late for work, so he backs up, not, and hears screaming at the top of his lungs, and realizes he's run over his arm, the arm of his son. And they're screaming and screaming, and in this terror, he jumps out of the car to see what, what's happened, he can't find the key anymore. And they're screaming everywhere, and there's crying, and he's like going crazy. So he only can remember that the one place he ever left the key was in upstairs on the third floor in his, you know, desk near his bed. And he runs up there and gets the key and goes back down. And they find, you know, he gets to the hospital, and they're praying and praying and praying, and it's devastating. And I said to him, "How did you survive that?" He's like, "You know, you. It took me a long time to forgive myself. I couldn't forgive myself for what I did to my son." And luckily for them, things turned out amazing for their son in the sense that, you know, he wasn't armless for the rest of his life. But 
it was very difficult. So when you have a lot of amazing friends that have these stories that are full of terror and fear and brokenness and, and infidelity, you know, I have many patients and friends who have either left their husband or their wife or another person or another situation or uh, have had, you know, infidelities, you know, forgiveness is crucial. You're, the grass is not greener on the other side. As beautiful as that grass looks, it is not. And so just sticking with what you have is really important for the health of your own health. I would even argue your eye health, <laughs> but we, we have data on that. So that's, that's kind of my my key stories on that. And so along with that is these amazing uh, examples of, you know, people out there doing research on this. So the top five things I want you to take home from this is number one, understand that the promise you're making when you get married, it's going to be a roller coaster, no matter who you are, no matter how wonderful your husband or wife is, know that your promise is you're promising to die to yourself. You're promising to try to detach yourself from everything, from even your loved one, your husband or your wife or your children. You need to learn to detach yourself and know that the only thing that's ever gonna make you happy is God himself. Just like St. Augustine says, my heart is restless until I'm united with you. You need to understand that. You need to understand that you are not, like St. Josemaria says, a $20 bill, I would say a $1,000 bill, that everybody wants to love you and have you and hold you always near to them. You're, you're, you're going to be, we, we say in certain faiths, like a trash can where, you know, you have to kind of understand sometimes you're going to get all the dumping and the trash into you and you have to be willing to be able to say, okay, I'm going to learn to like just detach myself and unite myself to God. Even if you don't believe in God, you can say love, you know, God is love. So think about that when you're saying the I do, you need to know that you're going to say, I'm going to give my everything to that other person and even empty myself and, and not be a, like a mat that people can walk on you. Of course, we'll have boundaries and we'll talk a little bit about that at the end, but you know, be, be aware of that. Uh, Dr. Greg Pataro has a wonderful podcast called Being Human that's excellent that talks about that. Um, I want everybody to understand that there's a lot of brain chemistry involved with any communication, especially in marriage. And Dr. John Gottman and the Gottman Institute has done amazing research on the four horsemen that destroy marriages, such as contempt, which is the worst, criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So those four things are worth your time to understand what they are. I remember the mnemonic CDCS. So think about those things and try to avoid bad communication patterns and habits. Uh, number three are the five love languages. So understanding your character, your temperament, and the temperament of your spouse, and the temperament of all your children really helps you to communicate well with better, I should say better with people. Uh, so that is Greg Chapman's work, the five love languages, which I always forget, but mine, mine of course is service, uh, but gifts, um, I have them here, words of affirmation, uh, physical touch, of course, acts of service, quality time and gifts. Those are the five love languages. And when I first heard them, I was like, why do you have to choose? Why can't you have all? And so I think that every love language, love language depends on your stage of life. When you have a lot of little kids, for instance, for me, it's always acts of service, but I love all of them. Uh, the fourth thing I want you to all remember is good habits, which are difficult. I try myself to go to daily mass and try to go to weekly confession, but even with that habit, I'm totally broken. I've totally said the stupidest thing in the world. My kids have told me as much. I've done terrible things. I've done stupid things, um, but I try to at least say I'm sorry as much as I can, and especially to God, who I, I do, uh, you know, obviously want to, uh, him, uh, him to know, and I know he knows that I'm trying to do the best I can.
even in my brokenness. And the fifth I want you all to know is that you're not alone. And I feel the same way because I'm so blessed to have amazing friends and couple friends uh, for better and worse that have helped me give good example to, you know, at least try to have a good example in my own family, uh, despite my own brokenness. So those are the five things I hope you guys take away from this. Thank you to all of you who have over the years, especially my wonderful patients who have shared their pearls. Uh, and I think the, the pearls that I've really learned the most from my patients is laugh about it. Don't take yourself uh, too seriously. My favorite joke is why do angels fly? And the reason is because they take themselves lightly. So no matter who you are, no matter what your character is, even if you're you know, the cynical, uh, full of contempt, uh, old man, melancholic, miserable miser, you can try to change, you know, you can try to get the help you need to change your brain patterns, to change your habits, because that ultimately improves your physiology. It improves the actual catecholamines, the stress hormones, the serotonin, the dopamine, all those types of kind of biological understandings of what's happening in your brain whenever you have certain habits and certain thoughts with your spouse, with others, with, your, with yourself improve your health and that is well now studied and continues to be studied by many many researchers around the globe that when you're happy when you're smiling when you have a positive statement when you have the the five to one the positive statements for every negative statement when you do a sandwich technique those things not only help those around you but they help yourself and they help decrease your blood pressure your heart rate and decrease your stress hormones or cortisol which leads to less inflammation which leads to a longer happier life less cancer risk, less heart disease, less diabetes. We know this, we have data. So research this yourself and pass it on to others as always. Thank you for joining me for the EYE Show podcast. Have a great day.